Hi, I'm Taylor. I'm a student and a host of this podcast. Welcome to the Tay Talks podcast, a weekly conversation about wellness, life, travel, and healing. Thank you for joining me along my journey. You can catch me living my best life and being unapologetically me on Instagram at Tay Talks or by visiting my site, justtaytalks.com. Trigger warning, trauma, sexual violence, relationship abuse, intimate partner violence, mental health. This podcast discusses trauma, but should not be seen as a substitute for professional help. This is solely from my own personal experiences and views. Hi, everyone. Um, good morning. Welcome back to the Tay Talks podcast. It's actually 530 for me. But it is nighttime for um, Maddie, who is the host of Reclaim Me podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, it is 8.30 p.m. here in Melbourne, Australia. So it's been good to be able to find a time we can both meet. Yeah, absolutely. And um, again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Just like a backstory for the listeners. Mads and I met through uh, Instagram um, and just being able to connect that way on our own um, individual stories and the way that we're healing and helping others, um, helping ourselves as well, of course. Um, And we just have built this like survivor community online, which has been really nice for me to uh, connect with her and others, um, mainly because I don't have a lot of folks that have gone through similar experiences as me. And so um, Mez also has a podcast, which I recommend everyone take a listen to. Uh, it's a great way to learn a little bit more about survivors' experiences. And yeah, I'm so happy to have you on my podcast to talk a little bit about your own story. And um, yeah, looking forward to hearing what you have to share. Absolutely. Me too. so we can kick it off um I do have some like starting questions um just like help the thought process go um one of them is so how old were you uh when um when your experience occurred uh was it someone close to you um or someone like distant um and then another question I had was Uh, more about memory. Mm. So is there, um, as you know, trauma can impact the brain a lot um, and and impact the memory. So uh, have you found yourself, uh, even in, if you think way back in the beginning, um, was your memory uh, there uh, in terms of like the details? Did you know a lot of the details? Um, Were you aware of those details? Or did you find like as um, you've gotten older, um, the memory has come back, like, where, where is your memory now, um, and have you done anything, like, EMDR therapy, or other various, um, pieces of therapy to help, uh, 
with not necessarily memorizing, but as you know, um, your body can remember those physical sensations um, if you're if there's um mind like blockage. So yeah, I just want to talk about the memories. I think that's such an interesting one. Um, yeah. yeah, wherever you want to go. Beautiful. Yeah. So I was 14 when my sexual assault happened. So I was a child. It actually took me a long time to, and it was only recently that I actually associated my assault with being child sexual assault, not sexual assault, which I think I'd always seen or the way that the community responded to my assault was very much that I was an adult. So for a bit of context, yeah, um, I, me and two of my friends were going for a sleepover at one of their houses. We were going to their dad's house and I was... We, we were 14, you know, we were so young, but we were also kind of re- rebelling, you know, a little bit. So we'd kind of planned all week. We were going to go to this girl's dad's house because he was kind of way cooler than our parents and he was going to buy us alcohol. So we'd gone there under the guise that, you know, let's tell our moms and our dads that everything's fine. You know, we're just going to watch movies together, but we were very much going there knowing that we were going to be drinking for the first time. Um, which obviously is a red flag. I mean, 14 year olds being provided with a lot of alcohol by an adult is a bit concerning. So my mom actually walked me to the door because she didn't know this man. And she was, she spoke to him. She was like, what are the girls doing? I think she had an inkling in her mind that she didn't feel comfortable with the situation, but he convinced her that everything was fine. We got there, we started drinking and we were actually going to go out and meet some of our boyfriends from school at that time we'd gone out for a little bit and he kind of the dad kind of said really quickly like no you're only drinking in the house we were drinking a lot we actually he was rather intoxicated as well and this kind of all eventuated over the night but he ended up um driving us drunk down to the local bottle shop we have drive-through bottle shops here so he went through them we were all in the back and he bought a heap of more drinks like double blacks which are extra strong kind of lolly drinks and we went back and we all drank and um I blacked out very I don't remember a lot of that what happened after that car ride um I remember specifically us being told we weren't allowed to leave we weren't allowed to go and see the boys that was the plan and I woke up to him on top of me Um, it was dark and I just vividly remember like the feeling of the carpet on my back and the smell and he was on top of me he was performing like oral sex on me he then um, penetrated me and raped me and it went on for a long time I think because I was in and out of consciousness as it was happening like I I was aware that something was wrong. I was aware that something was happening, but I wasn't physically able to stop it and get him off me. Um, Trigger warning, I guess, for this bit as well. But I vividly have a memory of trying to move my head while he was on top of me and he was trying to put his like flaccid penis in my mouth. And I remember that feeling of like choking and the feeling of my neck and my shoulders on the carpet underneath me really vividly. And it was, it was awful. During this time, his partner was actually there and she'd come down and was like looking down on us. So we were in the lounge room, I guess, of the house, which 
was overlooked by a balustrade and a, a staircase and she came down and saw what was happening and then she went back into her room and did nothing about it. A period of time then passed and she came down and she ended up calling police. Um, in this time, I was in a mad scramble. I don't know why specifically, but I just needed to find my phone. Like there was a, a home phone landline there. Mm-hmm. And instead of using that, I mean, I hadn't memorized a lot of numbers at that time as well. This was obviously a long time ago too. So mobile phones weren't um, smartphones like they are now. Yeah, there were, sure. it was like a Samsung one with like little buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't find the phone. So he actually ended up calling my phone off his house phone to help me find the phone. Like it was a really weird circumstance. And I just remember him like walking around in a t-shirt with no pants on trying to help me find my phone. Like it was just the most bizarre, I guess, situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to get dressed. Like I ended up finding a bra, putting a bra on and I put one of the other girls school tracksuit pants on. So they were the school sports uniform basically the police came and I was just beside myself you know I I knew what had happened I guess to a degree but I I was more concerned that my friends were no longer there so apparently he had been a bit creepy but the moment that I passed out he'd kind of said to the girls okay you can go and see the boys now which has always played on my mind through the years, whether that was the goal that he had and the intent that he had for that night was to get one of us intoxicated enough to hurt us Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to separate us from the other two. So it does come to my mind that I think that it was intentional. Um, We went to the police station and I ended up going and getting, um, my parents were called, uh, thank God. I really didn't want them to call my parents, not because I thought that I would really get in trouble, but more I didn't want them to know what had happened. Mm-hmm. I was really shameful from the very beginning about the situation I'd put myself in. That's how I phrased it to myself. And I had a lot of blame from the very beginning that I had drunk so much. And I went to get a medical assessment. So basically they did, this is like four o'clock in the morning now, like um, a rape kit on me and the police were there. The police took statements um, obviously this is just a bit of an abridged version, but it was, it was traumatic, but I, I guess as well, I will say my experience at the hospital was incredible. I had this really wonderful, pregnant, amazing woman who was so kind and caring and careful when she did the examination on me and she held my hand. Um, and it was a really good experience in the worst of times. Like, it's not something I look back on and I enjoyed obviously, but she made that the the least traumatic that that could have possibly been for me. Um, In the days, weeks, months, and years after the assault, my memory specifically has changed quite a lot about different things. Like I know, I'm sure most people can relate when you've had a few drinks, the next day you have these random memories kind of pop back into your mind along along the way. So a few things came back a long time, but Um, it was very clear to me and I had a very clear understanding of what had happened from the very beginning. And I guess in terms of memory as well, my memory from the beginning was clear. Additional things came back that were clear, but I guess in the way that we gaslight ourselves sometimes, or even in the way that we blame ourselves sometimes, there were things that I started to question a lot. Like, did I say something? 
did I do something to give him the wrong idea? Did I, you know, and I spend a lot of time questioning my memory and questioning my thoughts and whether I'd done something wrong in association with what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go to therapy straight away and it was awful. My experience was mm-hmm. so shocking. But remember, I guess, as well that I was 14. Right. So I went to the uh, an association called CASA, which is the Centre Against Sexual Assault. So they give you free services for this. Oh, wow. And she made me, this woman, play in sand like with figurines to try and talk about how I felt. I was like, I'm, I know I'm 14. I'm technically a child, but I'm also 14. I'm not four. Right. It was fucking, it was so annoying. And I literally just took the absolute piss out of that like consultation. After that, they said that they were worried about me being suicidal. She had to tell them that, but I was at that time specifically, I wasn't, I was just taking the piss out of her because it was just ridiculous. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I would be frustrated. Yeah. Um, I also didn't think I had healing to do. Mm-hmm. I was a bit annoyed that I was being forced to go to these things and it really annoyed me, but it took a long time, I guess, after school. Um, so years later, maybe five years later, um, I've finished high school. I'm in university I'm studying and everything and and the the effects of the trauma kind of started to show like excessive drinking sleeping around having no value for my life Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot that came out and I did go and seek additional psychology which did help to a degree but I would say that once the me too movement came out Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of shame and stigma I guess associated especially in my area I'm kind of from a small town suburb so everyone in that suburb knows everybody. It was kind of, you do not tell anybody what had happened because there's shame associated with it. Mm -hmm. When the Me Too movement started, I did have a social media account at that time. And I remember I posted a few things that had said, not my story, but what I had gone through. And over the last few years, I started to post more and more and interact more and more. And I guess it's kind of one of those things where you each time I let it out, each time I talk about it, each time I have these candid conversations with other survivors more specifically, I feel like a part of it I'm letting go of and I feel lighter because of it. Absolutely. Like none of my friends had ever gone through this level or this stuff that I knew of and I didn't have anyone to talk to. I really felt alone because I felt bad bringing it up because it made them sad and Finding this survivor community has been the most pivotal point for me in in saving my life, in now coming out, out of depression. I no longer have depression. I no longer have suicidal ideology. I I'm a happy person on my own and I never thought I would get to a stage where I would be okay with myself so I've been single for a a long time now like well over a year and a half I have refrained from being in relationships because I was seeking them to try and help me rather than because they were positive and I live alone and it is I think from the outwards looking in especially now with COVID being in Um, isolation because we're in lockdown 
But at the same time, there is a power I have found in finally getting to a point where I'm happy on my own. And I feel that has taken me 14 years to get to. So I'm 28 now and it's taken me a long time, but this, the act of even having the podcast and telling my story and talking to other survivors about it and changing my narrative from being a victim survivor to also somebody who's an activist and an advocate has has made a big difference. Glad and cheer you on right now because that was just so powerful. Um, first, I want to thank you for sharing your story and um, not just with me and I, uh, but with my audience as well, um, and um, and just allowing yourself to be free and to be able to just express um, on here and that you felt comfortable enough to share it with me. Absolutely. I think you're amazing. And um, I do, I feel safe with you. And I think that's the other part of it, you know, where we've not just fostered people to talk to, but genuine connections where you, you feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wrote down some notes as you were talking. Um, So many things were coming up. Uh, So I loved, loved, what you said about when you share and when you talk to other survivors or just in general to the community, um, you feel lighter. And I I wanted to talk a little bit on that because I can definitely relate. Um, I definitely feel like it's a breath of fresh air once I like get to the end of my um, story and I talk about like the, where I am now, right? And how much has changed in the um, year or so or two years. Um, So I just wanted to like expand a, a little bit on what does that feeling like mean for you um and and now looking back like you said you're 28 now um so what does that what does that feel like I always talk about um connecting back to your inner child so uh, maybe like any advice you would have given to your inner child or anything you want to say to your inner child or your younger self um and examples that people have used was um like they um, want their, their younger self to feel loved um, and to feel comfortable and, and to know that they're okay. Um, some people like um, shared that like they're so proud of where they are now and how much they've grown. Um, so yeah, whatever you want to sh- share, but I, I really liked what you said about feeling light. Yeah. And I think even through the Reclaim Me process and in interviewing other people, I found that most people have done that in some form, whether it be art, whether it be journaling, there's been some way that they've been able to let go of this this big boulder that they hold um, and the weight. So for me, it's been an incredible experience. I guess what I would say to my younger self is more from a level of it wasn't your fucking fault. It wasn't your fault. And I think that there is a part of us as women specifically that are programmed to believe that it is our fault and that we could have changed the outcome somehow. We victim blame and we do in society. And, you know, the fact that I was drinking for a lot of people was a very contentious issue. It was, you know, but she was drinking. She's one of the bad girls. And and even after what I went through, which I found just as traumatic, was people's parents wouldn't let them hang out with me because I was a bad kid. I was bad news. And the message that that sent to me was that I was to blame and it was my fault. And I guess what I would say to my 14-year-old self is that it wasn't my fault. Alcohol played no part in whether or not this man did that. That was him. That was not me. 
And I guess that's where I would go and say, I, I almost want to say to myself, I forgive you for Mm -hmm. blaming yourself and for taking this long to get to a point where you're okay about this. Um, Because there was a lot of guilt that I felt as well, moving through this journey that it was still affecting me. Like Mm -hmm. it was one night it's done. It's over. You know, he's not here anymore. He actually got convicted and went to jail for two years for what he did to me. But in society, I guess, because I'd had the closing of the loop and I had a conviction as well, I felt like really guilty that it was still affecting me so much. So I would be telling my younger self that whatever, however I'm feeling is valid Mm -hmm. and that I needed and that it was okay to be an asshole to myself, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you talked a little bit earlier about the friends that were there. Um, what was kind of your relation relationship like afterwards? Um, do you have a relationship with those same friends that you were at the sleepover with? Um, did you go through any friendship dynamics? Um, I, I'll put it as, um, you know, yes, in, in that age alone, in that age group, right? Um, as a young woman, you go through so many different friends. Um, the friends I had when I was 14 are very different than the friends I have now. Um, even like some of them are, I still have and I'm and, and close with, but some of them are, I'm not. And just because of, um, in the U.S., at least here, you are, um, you split once you get to like 15. Um, that's usually like around freshman year. So like people go to different high schools, so you may not lose um, connection and things like that. Um, just in general, like a, an experience like this, I could only imagine change a lot of dynamics. And um, even like you said, your community parents didn't want um, their kids hanging out with you because you were the bad, um, the bad girl uh, in air quotes. So yeah, did any of those dynamics change? Did you and your friends ever talk about the assault? Um, yeah, one of the girls, the girl whose father it wasn't, um, her and I maintained like we were best friends for years and we we maintained a friendship. I, honestly, we still are friends, but mm. we don't really talk very often. Our, our lives outside of this have just gone in very different directions mm. and we have a lot of love and respect for each other, but we're just not as close as we once were. Mm. The girl whose father assaulted me, her and I still maintained a really good friendship afterwards. We did speak about things here and there, but it was kind of like we're supporting each other through a hard time. She was bullied as much as I was at school because her father had done that. And I felt so guilty for her, for her to have to go through that because it was not her fault. fault. Right. Right. She did nothing wrong. And, you know, they both felt a lot of guilt that they had left me there as well. So they're going through this trauma and guilt as well for, for what I've gone through. And I really resonated with that. It wasn't until her 21st um, that her father was out of prison Mm -hmm. and he was going to be at her 21st that I was planning to make a speech at. And I did not find out that until uh, quite close to the event that he was going to be there. And I I think when you're close with somebody, I, I often look back on it and think about it like maybe I was a little bit too harsh. I just cut her off. It, she was a really close friend of mine and I just cut her off. But for me, that was a boundary. I could not, Yeah. I could not foresee that somebody did not care enough that my abuser was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of my friends didn't go to that 21st, but a lot of them did. And that caused me a lot of trauma as well, that while I was sitting at home 
with two of my mates talking about how upset I was, you know, all of my other friends were at a party drinking and celebrating with my abuser. And that, that was something that caused me a lot of trauma as well. And I guess once something like this happens to you, it's not just the event, it's all of the things afterwards that have a huge impact on you as well. And that, that really hit me hard. So, but I guess in Australia, it's different. You go from primary school, which is, you know, kindergarten almost up until grade six, which is 13. Then you go to high school, which and high school is year seven, 13 to when you've completed your high school graduate diploma, mm. whatever, what is it? BCE or you guys have different terminology, yeah. but you finish that at 18. So you're with this same cohort of people all the way through that. And so we were at the same school. We were the same friendship group. And during school, it didn't really affect the dynamics at all. We we maintained a good friendship. People didn't ask many questions because it was taboo. <laughs> Sorry, it was kind of like you rock up to school and everybody kind of knows and they look at me a little bit differently. We get a bit bullied about it. And then you go on and you try and live your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you made a great point about two things. Well, three things. Um, the aftermath, right, um, and the events that occur after and why it's so important. Um, boundaries. And then you also made a point about, which is um, Barbara memory for me, uh, with the friends that were at the party and then you being at home with your own friends and and that feeling of, of the people who you thought were close to you, right, or who valued, respected you to find that, that they're partying with your abuser, it hurts. And um, I, I don't know, it sounds like you kind of had a similar experience to me. I experienced this a couple months ago. I was actually out of the country, had um, came back home, like stopped to visit my parents before I came back to college. So just happened to be on social media and saw all these videos of my friends, people who I trusted, people who knew my story, believed in me, supported me, and they were all partying with my abuser on like a Saturday night. Um, and I was like FaceTiming my two male best friends, like so heated and outraged um, and angry. And, and I, um, similar to you, had to cut those people off and protected my boundary and my space. And to this day, we are we are colleagues because we are involved in the same organization and we have to be um, involved with each other, but our personal lives, like they absolutely know nothing about my personal life anymore. And that was my boundary. And so I think that people, and I, I wanna shed light on this because I think it's so important that folks have to understand that it's not just a temporary, um, at least for me, you know, if I'm being told by someone, I support you, I love you, you know, I believe in you. I, I, in a sense, and I guess this is my own work that I have to work on, but I have this expectation that that's going to follow suit, like throughout, that it's not just they're saying this in the moment. Um, and it's something that they actually believe, you know, and I, I worry that Sometimes when, when survivors, when we share our story, right, and, and people respond back, that they're only responding in the moment because they don't know what else to say, which is why I always encourage people, you hear, 
if someone comes out to you and shares anything, it's okay if you don't have a response right away. Um, because at least for me, I really take it to heart. Um, and it, it was a huge like slap in the face, punch in the gut, you know, having friends who didn't didn't feel the same way on, on what they were saying. And it was confusing. I was so confused. And I talked about it in therapy and, you know, just realized that these were just mean girls over the course of months dealing with them. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to highlight that because I totally resonated and it's a yeah. shitty feeling, you know, it, it really does suck. And it sucks so much. And it is okay to be angry and pissed off about that yeah. because I expect your words to be followed with actions and you can almost imagine like put yourself in their shoes. Maybe, you know, they're going to an event, the abuse is going to be there. They don't have a choice in it, but they want to go, you know, there are still things you can do and attend the Mm -hmm. same event maybe, but there are also other things that I would expect. And that's solidarity to me. So solidarity to you. Why the fuck would you want to be in the same space as the person who sexually assaulted me? Is the party that big? Can you get this person to leave? Can you make a party of your own and go somewhere else? Like these are options, you know, that, and I feel like these people sometimes in their minds justify it by being like, you know what? It happened a long time ago. ago. It happened a few years ago. You know, it's, she will be fine or, you know, she'll understand. And it's like, well, hold the phone, okay? Right. Shut the fuck up. Right. This doesn't change the fact of what they did to exactly. me. And you've shown me solidarity. How do you think it's going to make me feel seeing those things? And the fact that they didn't care that you would see that as well is just mm-hmm. abhorrent. I think it's just absolutely, it shows a lack of empathy, and yep. people who lack empathy, me and my situation are not people that I want in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why boundaries are so, so important. Um, I honestly, I, and I think I shared this on when I was talking with you on your podcast, but I had set my boundary with my, um, then at the time, like, I don't even want to say partner because that's not even like, I feel like a partner is someone that values and respects you. And that was not what I had, but in my previous relationship, um, you know, I had set those boundaries and those boundaries were violated. I had lots of sexual boundaries that I wasn't comfortable with. Um, and, and those boundaries were violated as it, you know, everyone know who's listened to this podcast knows that, um, you know, resulted in my, my assault. But I, I think when I look at it now, a year, two years later, I see how much I've, um, I've set boundaries and everything now. Now it's, um, and I don't know if you've noticed that you've done this before. I've talked with other survivors who've said something similar, that they're like now a little bit like hyper aware, I guess, um, of, of different situations. So like for me, um, definitely have boundaries now within school. Um, I was, had a very hard time my junior year. So I'm in my last year of university now. Um, so my third year of college, I really struggled mentally, um, some depression, um, just really bad anxiety, like didn't eat for a while, um, never had suicidal thoughts, but just didn't, just wanted to be alone. Like yeah. I only wanted to be associated with two people. Um, like I didn't even want to speak to my family. And that was really hard for me because I'm so close with my family. Um, but boundaries is, is where I'm getting at. Um, 
because now I'm when I even like in a healthy relationship when I was my now current partner who I've been dating who's amazing um and respects me totally opposite experience but even within our relationship I've set boundaries and then I have boundaries within my friends um whether it's student organizations, I have like office hours. Um, I don't answer the phone after 5 p.m. I just don't do it. That's like my time now. Um, so yeah, I think boundary setting is just really important. I'm like a huge advocate yeah. for it. And I think it's a way that we not only have respect for ourselves, um, but I think it's a way for other people to respect us. Um, and I feel like the boundaries is something that I can have control on. Um, and that I'm in charge of, and no one can take that away because that's my boundary. And I feel like that's been my my stance since my assault because my boundaries were violated. Um, but yeah, I really love that you you yeah. just you made the decision that was best for you. And if people cannot respect that and don't value them that, then I always say, then those may not be the people that you need to have in your life. No, and it was hard. Hard. I, I'll be honest, like I lost a lot of friends. I didn't lose them. I cut them off. I cut a lot of people out of my life. I stopped talking to a lot of people. Um, I moved away from where I grew up. I, I did a lot of different things. And there was a period of time there where I really felt like I didn't have many close friends. And I felt like a bit of a loser. Like it was hard. I, I didn't have my besties. And yeah. at the same time, my best friend in the whole world had just moved overseas. So I felt really lonely and that was hard, but the friendships that I have now made through work, through being a survivor, through even just meeting people at the local bar, like sometimes I would go there with my puppy and just do some like work after work and stuff to meet new people. And I, I've made some really wonderful friendships. These friendships, I feel I don't have to send set boundaries with because they inherently respect who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. They will ask me before they talk to me about things. They will engage with me in a way that is incredibly respectful from the get-go. You know, it's just a different friendship. It's a different dynamic. There's no blaming. There's no bitching. There's no craziness. Yeah. There's just yeah. love there. And just I love, think yes. Yeah. You just love and respect one another so much. And if I was to hurt one of their feelings accidentally or them the same, we'd raise it. We'd talk about it. There's no anger there. You wouldn't be yelling. It's just yeah. respectful. And I think people have this thing, you know, you've got to be friends with the people you grew up with that you're, they're your lifelong friends. You do not have to. Yeah. There are so many wonderful, wonderful people out there that are just waiting to be your person mm -hmm. and you know, one of my best friends at the moment, she's just turned 40 and I can talk to her about anything in the world. We're going for a picnic tomorrow. Yay, Each time so I see her, I feel happy inside. She makes me feel like a glowing person. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel after leaving some of my friends now. And I think that's so much more important. If somebody's in your life and they're making you feel like shit, feel free to cut them the fuck off. It might hurt you as well. You might feel like you're making some harsh decisions, but there are so many wonderful people out there. You don't need them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and emphasizing that, that you do not need them. You do not need people. Um, who are shitty and who are mean and nasty you don't have to take take their bullshit um and I I want to highlight that because I think sometimes it 
like you said, you feel so alone, right? That it's easy to get stuck with those um, horrible people. Right? And as we know, it, it, I think the statistics, um, I believe it's seven times, um, it's it seven tries to leave your, um, to leave an abusive household or partner. And yep. even that alone, right? Um, I'll, I'll, even for me, and I can speak on my experience, took me a while to leave because I felt like this was the only um, option to stay, right? And yep. so um, highlighting and emphasizing that you do not need to be in these situations, you do not need to be with these unhealthy people, um, and you have so, so much more power um, and I'm, I'm sure you probably maybe have felt this too, but you have so much more power than you actually realize. Um, I didn't really realize how much my voice mattered, my experience mattered, my story mattered until I started sharing it and until people started connecting, until we started connecting, until, you know, I was talking with um, Gina over in, in the Thriver Project and, and navigating different relationships with friends and stuff like that, um, even talking with my parents that... It, there is so much power. Um, you know, you you do hold power within yourself, even though sometimes it feels like you are alone and you are isolated. Um, so yes. And what I'd say as well to that is that, you know, if you're leaving an abusive relationship, you know, what I would recommend is for you to get a plan in place mm-hmm. and seek help. So even if it is you leaving some friends and a lot of friends, and you're going to go through a period of transition where you're going to have less friends and you're going to feel isolated, plan for that go to a psychologist, go to a counselor, or go to another trusted friend, make some plans. So say you've got one friend that you love and you think that they're amazing. They're close by. They might be overseas. Even you say to them, I am planning on cutting these people out of my life next month. I feel like I'm going to feel quite alone and be isolated. You let them know from the beginning that your what you need from them is more check-ins, more time with you, things like that. Start to make the plan so that you're not alone drowning at that moment. You've got ability to make it easier on yourself. Absolutely. It's not as simple as just cutting someone off. Yeah, (laughs) it's definitely not. Um, And I think having a good plan in place is definitely important. Um, and, And to be able to talk it out, right? Because sometimes what, sometimes it may not be as realistic or as easy as you, as it seems until you physically write it out, right? And write out the steps um, on where to go, what resources, especially if um, I I keep in mind folks that may be younger as well, or maybe living alone um, or, or are here in, you know, here in, in the U.S. or here in, I don't know, Italy, right? And they may not have family and friends nearby. So you definitely want to lean on those resources for support. Um, yeah, definitely. I would say just to, to wrap up some final thoughts. So you talked a little bit about um, your rape kit and how that experience with um, the nurse was so like rewarding. Um, and I'm really glad to hear that because I've heard so many negative experiences um, from so many people that I've just had discussions with um, and in just reporting in general. Um, I had a restraining order against my abuser, but I did not um, go through a formal reporting process. Um, I had debate and considered it, but I realized um, that it wouldn't have been the most beneficial for me. 
Um, and, and what was beneficial at the time was the restraining order. Um, but the reporting, because I was scared of reliving my, my, um, my trauma and I would have, would have had to testify and would have had to just like share all those intimate details in a court of strangers where I don't know if I would have really got the support. So, um, and I know a lot of people would have people go through reporting and not reporting and any decision you make is valid and, and you don't have to report um, and, and be heard and you can report and still be heard. And, and so I just wanna acknowledge those things as well because I think we as survivors tend to go through those challenges. If you didn't report, it wasn't real, right? It didn't happen. Um, or if you, if you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen. And, and I wanna affirm to folks that you do not have to share your story in order for someone to believe you. Um, someone should just believe you, period. But, um, but I just want to talk a little bit more about those those feelings of of joy, I guess. Um, and what does that um, joy in the sense, not because of what happened, but because of the support you received from that nurse. And, and what did that feel like? And um, was there anything that like stuck out with you to this day that might help someone else um, when when they might be assisting someone who have, has experienced this type of trauma? Yeah. Give me one sec. Sorry. Someone's oh. just. Like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. No, okay. My front door was locked. Um, yes, no, I think my experience, yeah, in that moment, it was loving, it was caring. She she truly believed me. And I think one thing I will say to every survivor out there, which is having each one of us, each individual person has different goals. Not everybody's goal is to con- get a conviction. Mm-hmm. What healing in inverted commas looks like for each person is not the same thing for everyone Mm -hmm. going through a court process is not what each individual person wants and it does not validate that theirs is worse or theirs is more legitimate than somebody Mm -hmm. else's when we talk about that it's important to highlight that you're not a better survivor or a better victim you're not anything different if you have gone through a court process because that's completely separate to the fact the crime is the crime and what happened to you is what happened to you and then your actions and environment after that dictates so many different things so what I will say is I do have a big trust and faith in a lot of medical professionals and especially if you go to a very well-known or well-respected women's hospital Mm -hmm. um most of the time you will be met with somebody who is trained in this area. So the lady who, who did my kit, she was a very well-respected woman in that area. She was the head of the unit and she was so kind and so gentle. And you could just tell that she had had training. She didn't ask me any ridiculous questions. She told me everything she was going to do before she did it. She asked for my consent at each point, which was important. I never felt violated by her. Mm-hmm. She put a, you know, a blanket over me. I think for most women, if we've had, or vulva owners, if we've yeah. had a pap smear, 
you know, even just the nicety of having a towel or something over you, even while you're exposed is so much more comforting. And those were the things that she did for me, which was wonderful. And I, I would hate that somebody's bad experience would stop somebody from going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do highlight my point as being, it still was traumatic. I still vividly remember at 14, so 14 years ago, being in that room, what it looked like, it was still traumatic. Yeah, absolutely. But it was the best that it could have possibly been. Yeah, and I think you're really right in what you said that people do not think that it is almost valid or you inherently consider yours less valid because you've gone, you haven't gone to that step. Right. And I think what you said um, about each survivor has their individual goal, right. Um, In terms of, of healing and what it looks like. And maybe it's not even to heal. Um, Like you mentioned earlier, you didn't, when you were meeting with the psychologist, you didn't really felt like you had to heal, right? So um, I feel like every survivor is a little bit different. Um, for me, my main goal was that I can be away from my abuser, um, which is why I got the restraining order so that they can never contact me again. Um, and that, because the harassment was too much. Um, and and then I just wanted to move forward. Um, and so I, I think that that's also, um, that's also something that has helped me. I, I've done therapy and it and has worked very nicely for me, um, thankfully. And I have an amazing therapist who understands the cultural dynamics as well. Um, but for me in our therapy sessions, I set small goals and it's a way for me to like look ahead and, and to work towards those things. But um, that's a really I, good point, I think, as well. Sorry, the, okay. the small goals. Mm-hmm. Like, if your goal is healing and you're in the midst of a tragedy, it seems so far removed. Yeah. You know, it yeah. is so hard, especially if you're dealing with anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. It seems like a goal that is so far from reach that it's unattainable. And I think one of the things that I realized looking back on it, even just realizing right now as I reflect, I never had the goal to heal, I had the goal to move the fuck on. And I didn't want this to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later that I had the strength and the knowledge to be able to help myself. And because obviously the trauma started for me coming up. So my goals and everything developed through time and they changed through time and I was able to achieve different things through time. So I guess as well, if you're sitting in this moment, it's the worst moment of your time. You can't see healing being as a as a an achievable or an attainable thing set something short term it might be getting up at 8 a.m seven days in a row and drinking two liters of water that might be it that's a good fucking goal yeah absolutely. (laughs) doing that seven days in a row that's a good goal you know put your health put your mental health first Mm-hmm. each step that you then take from there is one step closer to being more integrated with being able to accept what's happened. Cause you're never going to forget about it. Therapy is never going to get you to a point where this is out of your mind and it doesn't affect you anymore. You figure out ways along the lines that affect you less and less so that you can accept it more. And so that it negatively impacts your life less and less throughout time. So it take a step, don't take a leap. I think that's a really good thing to reflect on because I think inherently without planning it out, that's what I did. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great um, take steps. Um, it's a great way to leave off. And I just wanted to highlight one more thing before we close out. Um, you mentioned earlier that you, uh, when we were just talking, you said that you're having friend over, you're going to um, have a good time this weekend. And I just want to highlight that because hearing that joy actually brings me so much comfort. Um, and, and hearing that you are living your best life, that's like my life slogan, um, is, is really encouraging um, as a survivor. Uh, I've personally have had a very hard time adjusting. And I, I think it's also because of the pandemic. Um, in America, our COVID rates are very different um, from <laughs> every other country. And um, I, I have health risks as well. So I just have to be cautious. But I think a lot of in the beginning, um, even if we, if we didn't have COVID right now, um, and this was another time, I think I still would have been I don't know if it's necessarily fear, but it's definitely anxiety about being in a party because that's where I met my abuser. And so having those like re-triggering thoughts um, and, and things like that. And so I, I'm, I'm personally working towards that in therapy and just trying to figure out what is a healthy balance for me? And what does my boundary look like being in, at a party right now? Um, and I, I wanted to know like for you, do you have, and, and maybe not now as an adult, but maybe in your um, younger years, did sleepovers come up again? And how did you navigate those? Was that something you were interested in? Was it something you completely isolated from? Um, and yeah, and just going a little bit onto that. I just want to know like, what was your process like um, for, for those? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question because I've never really thought about that. Mm -hmm. um, I did spend a lot of time with the other friend who was there that night. We mm -hmm. would sleep over at each other's houses nearly every weekend after that. Mm -hmm. um, I did tend to only sleep at people's houses that I inherently really, really knew. So mm -hmm. like friends sleepovers with two of my best friends were kind of a really common occurrence, but mm -hmm. outside of that, not really, but I guess I did have some reckless kind of behavior that came through too. I think inherently, I started to value myself less and I, I took a lot of risks as a young teenager because I was acting out, I guess, against what had happened. Mm -hmm. um, and that was interesting as well. So I think, you know, on the sleepover front, I don't think it was a specific thing that I had thought too much about, but I think maybe in the background of my mind, I was making choices to only stay at the people's houses who I really, really trusted. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're right, I guess, as well, when you've said that about parties and stuff, it's so um, it's so interesting too, because I've been feeling with COVID, mm -hmm. like our experiences of COVID are so different. Um, I'm in Melbourne with the longest, strictest lockdown in the world yeah, ever. So we're, we're quite isolated. It's been quite hard. So the thought of even interacting with people on a regular basis is quite scary, but, um, I've got a bubble buddy, which is a friend who doesn't see other friends. Um, so that we're not at risk and yeah, she's just arrived at my house. We're going to have a drink together. And I'm, I'm so excited to just sit with somebody I, I love and just be in each other's presence. And to give you an idea, I guess me and her met because she was on a date with a guy at a bar and he owned the bar and I knew him and I was there and wow. he had to go and do something at the bar. And we've been friends for now five or six years. 
She's one of my closest mates. I told you before we started recording, um, I've had a really hard couple of days at work mm. where I got a really awful email. I'm under a lot of stress. I called her on my walk with my dog last night, hysterically crying, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. hyperventilating, Everyone crying. Yeah. And she that just listened. She, yeah, she listened. She checked in on me today and we can sit here and be excited to see each other now as friends. And it's, it's a nice feeling to know that that's it. There's no guilt there. There's no shame. There's no bullshit. It's just love. And I yeah. think that's the people that you should strive to have in your life. Definitely. Absolutely. I love that. Just love. And that's a great way to end. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, and if not, that's totally okay. And where can the listeners find you? I want to definitely uplift your Instagram page and your podcast. Um, so please share all of that. Yes. So um, I can probably link it all to you. So it will be in the link of the show notes of the episode, but I'm on Instagram at reclaim me pod. Um, and I am also, my personal Instagram is at mad heat underscore. Um, so please go and give me a follow, um, especially on reclaim me. Uh, I just did a post before that you might not be a survivor yourself, but you definitely know one. There's a lot of survivors out there and I encourage you to share this podcast and reclaim me with other people because these are platforms that can really help validate survivors and, and give them an opportunity to talk about their experiences. So yeah, that would be a great way to support the platform and survivors. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you coming on and just sharing your story um, with me and with my audience. You are amazing. You are a literal rock star um, and have meant so much to me over the last yeah, couple months, almost a year, I feel like, um, just yeah. connecting and um, being able to vent to you or ask you questions and lean on you um, when I'm, you know, not doing well or I am when I'm really well and just always just supporting me. So thank you so much. And I hope you have an amazing weekend and an amazing time um, tonight, uh, Maddie, with your friend. And yeah, have a great weekend. Thank you so much for having me on. And that goes straight back to you. Um, I'm really grateful that you're in my life. And, you know, it was so exciting to even know that I was going to get to chat to you again tonight. Like my heart was fluttering just seeing your smile. Um, so thank you. I'm really grateful that you're in my life. Thanks for tuning into Tay Talks this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode and be sure to tune in next week. If you have any updates, advice, stories, any tea you want to share with me, feel free to follow me at Tay Talks on Instagram and send me your messages. Stay safe.